sing glory! Okay, I have just recorded this in three different rooms. I'm helping my mom move house and we have, I don't know, it seems like the more boxes that get removed from a room, the echoier it becomes. Okay. Today, we're sitting down with artist, singer, sustainability advocate, and model Rachel Rutt. Speaking to her individuality, Rachel brings together this understanding and curiosity, traversing various expressions that seek to delineate connectivity, community, and consciousness. Speaking to her overall message, it's to do more. Her work within the artisanal crafts, such as weaving, knitting, and embroidery paired with a background in the fashion industry as a model, has her straddled between generations both young and old. Advocating ethicality, sustainability, and a shift towards the slow movement, she's allowed for these to naturally take place within her own pursuits. Touching on that perhaps rather than the individual artist with a singular vision, we're undergoing experiences and creating as a collective people, synchronously addressing and connecting on a level unbeknownst to us. Still in awe and feeling like I barely even grazed the surface on all that this lady knows and does. This is This Fiber Journey with Rachel Rutt. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from Sydney, Australia, and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Going through your bio beforehand, and I'll link all the platforms in the show notes of the episode for all the listeners, it shows that you are really varied in your work and all with the underlying theme of sustainability and the embrace of the slow movement. And just doubling back to square one, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and say if you were asked by someone on the street random about what you do, how you would best answer that in blunt terms? Okay, this is a great question because I feel like I actually have to battle this all the time. So I generally say that I'm an artist because I feel like that's a word that not only everyone accepts as being this sort of mythical profession where, um, you know, we don't, you know, it can be a lot of different things. So I like to say artist, but basically, yeah, I'm an artist working with textiles and with sustainability initiatives and also in music. So that's how I sum myself up, I guess. And kind of like, what's your relationship like with your gut? And was it always a surefire thing that you wanted to work within this space or or these spaces? Um, but how did you kind of go about navigating your purpose? So I think for me personally, I kind of know the way that life happens to me a little bit, if that makes any sense. So it's not so much that I've always had a certain vision that was very clear to myself in plain words. It was very much about how everything for me is very feeling-based. And um, when it came to making art and creating in general with others or alone, the thing that I find the most um, confidence from and navigational is sort of how it begins or how it happens to me. So the way that a lot of the best things in my life happen are seemingly accidental, but overall very intentional from the moment that they enter my life and my awareness. So a lot of the things I do, I would never have thought I would have done before I got into them. It's just that for some reason or other, they entered my life at the right time. And it's 
it's partially my me taking a chance on them, but it's also that when things enter my life in a certain way, usually through a positive interaction, and then subsequently things seem to happen very quickly after that, it sort of builds a momentum for me. And obviously, if I'm drawn to it, it seems to just take place. And because that similar momentum has happened with multiple things in my life, I trust that as usually boding really well. And maybe that's my version of the gut when it comes to my career. Yeah, I, I feel like there's definitely a hand, you've got a hand in almost manifesting. Are you, Do you intentionally manifest and do you believe in the concept of manifestation? Yes, I do. I really believe that if you write something down, for instance, or you say it out loud, it usually happens really quickly afterward. Even if at the time you're feeling like it's impossible or the opposite is going to happen, it definitely has happened time and again for me. Um, and I've definitely been at the top of the world and at the bottom of the world when certain things have happened in that way. It's not just when things are rolling really well that you get a positive manifestation or you can get, obviously you can also get negative manifestations too, but I try and avoid those. Don't we all? <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, say when you have kind of a light bulb moment and you really want to go after this idea or something that you just really want to manifest. Do you have, say, a ritual that you follow? Do you sit down and journal? Do you mind map? Do you have anything you kind of turn to? Or is it just all in the mind and you're just like, I'm just going to intentionally keep this thought with me and it will work out? It's partially what you said when you're holding it intention in your heart, but I also talk to my friends and my partner and my collaborators. I talk to people who know me best. I'm really lucky to basically have friends who are all creating as well and we create together very often and I'm not it's also very friendship based it's not just um professional so I might have met a lot of them professionally and they became friends or vice versa so there's a really I I'm really lucky to have a trust network with my close friends where when we have ideas we not only talk about them and workshop them but we often contribute to each other's plans so that is usually the first port of call for me, um, other than inside of myself. If I, w- I immediately will try and get feedback. Once I think an idea through, I'll ask people and talk to them about it. Because often I learned this the hard way of like holding ideas in because I was almost scared at one point to, to share them. And also, sc- firstly, scared of what other people might think, but also um, scared of my own ability to act on them. And also at one point, I think sometimes you get afraid that someone else might even steal your idea. And that sounds, that sounds bad, but sometimes you do think like that. And then there came a point in my life where, when that was happening, where I realized that because I wasn't talking about them or sharing them, they never happened. So in a way, it just, even though I was trying to save it for myself, it doesn't really work like that. Because I also think that ideas, if they're happening to you, you might feel like they're absolutely unique to you. Um, and as artists, I think we all want to think that we're absolutely individual and completely unique. But I also believe in this thing that the same idea, when it's ready to happen in the world, it will happen to multiple people around the world at the same time. And you have to act on those ideas, not just because someone else might do them first, but because the world is ready for them. And in the idea space, we're all sharing a collective consciousness that maybe not all of us are aware of. And we might not even know each other in real life or know of each other in real life. And we could be having the same idea at a similar moment in time. 
I love that you've kind of taken this perspective of we're all connected and that us as a people will be introduced to a concept or go through an experience when we are ready for it. Focusing on your woven work and just this work that you integrated with like fabrics and textiles and also organic matter, I'd love to know how you source your materials and if there are any hurdles in acquiring your supplies. So basically when I started making things with my hands with fiber, it started off with knitting, which is very hands-on and very universal. You know, people have it in their homes. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a common thing to see around. It's something we all have memories of. We're all kind of connected to it, even if we've never done it before. And through that process, I learned how to weave. And I did that in a much um, more, uh, not academic, but in a structured kind of scholastic area. I went to a guild and I studied it um, with artisan masters. And the way that it's taught is much more mathematical. And it kind of trained me to kind of look at it from a very structural point of view as opposed to a creative point of view. And those few years of studying that and also the first few years of applying it into my own practice really changed the way I created. And for a while, actually, it was quite stunting for me. Um, but basically, to answer your question, through learning how to make things by my, with my hands, I started wanting to, to, to know from the ground up how these things were evolving. So you're working with fiber, but fiber is a very tactile thing. Where does that fiber come from? It's either plant-based or animal-based. Or sometimes it can be, um, you know, man-made fiber, but not really when it comes to hand-making. It's usually plant or animal. And so I learned how to spin fiber. I'm not very good at it, but I learned how to do that just to kind of get a basic feel for where these things were coming from. Um, in my work, I use a lot of silk and linen and cotton. And I, I think personally, I just like the way that they appear once they're kind of put together. But when, when sourcing it, I guess, like, I try and source a lot of things locally, but in Australia, we don't grow as much of these fibers locally anymore. Um, for instance, I recently learned that pre-World War II, we had a lot of linen um, and flax farms here, but um, now it's not available anymore. The best linen tends to come from Europe, but um, or, you know, flax, but it's interesting, like, there's certain things that you actually just can't get where I live so it's sort of a balance of um one thing or another and just basically trying to get quality fibers but the relationships that delving into the fiber world have provided me um with wool farmers for instance because I use a lot of wool is one of the fibers that we can get very abundantly here in Australia um and the relationships that I've built with wool farmers um who sell you know, to, to makers, it has been incredible. It's been very educational. And it's a generation that I um, otherwise wouldn't have been able to breach being in my 20s. And um, it's an older generation. And a lot of them, if you meet them in another context, they kind of look at you as somebody's daughter or granddaughter. They don't see you as a peer. But because of uh, mutual interest in the fiber arts, you, you have this immediate bridge. And I think that's been one of the most rewarding things about my fiber journey, I would say. Your fiber journey? I love how you refer to that. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> um, have you found that there are other 
people within the younger generations that are reaching out to older generations through kind of the avenue that you're exploring as well? Is there more interest or do you find that you're the only one in your area? So when I studied at the Guild, there was a huge generation gap. I was the youngest person. There were a few other young people there, um, but mainly there were women that were retired. Uh, one man as well, but mainly women. Um, and they were all retired between the ages of like mid-50s to and up. Um, a few random other ages, but mainly mid-50s and onward. And so... There was, they, they were really excited to have a few young people on board because for some reason here anyway, it's really skipped a generation. I don't think it's like that in different countries abroad, but in Australia, handmaking and things like that has sort of died out, like local trade. A lot of our fashion industry and consumption is based on importing. So a lot of the local artisans who used to be able to teach at colleges and things like that, they don't have those opportunities anymore. And so um, they were really excited to get a few young people on board. But that being said, that's from like a very technical standpoint of a guild and like it's very structured and everything. But I know personally, I know a lot of um, young people, I suppose through my work in fashion, but also um, just through being an artist and being young and meeting people. I know a few other weavers and um, it's definitely, there's a lot more interest in handcrafts sort of resurfacing. It's just sort of, I've noticed that a lot of people don't really know where to begin or where to get information from. And they're kind of being oversold um, these very simplistic processes by, by people who are marketing it really well, um, but they're not actually educating people that deeply on the subject as far as they could go, if you know what I mean. And that's where I, I, I feel like where I'm trying to bring it a little bit more public and kind of try and connect the dots for people. And I get a lot of messages asking asking just really normal questions, the questions that I asked and I asked, I just happened to know a community that I could ask. So it's been really nice actually being able to share that information with my younger community. And have you ever thought, this is just putting out there, but um, have you ever thought about maybe setting something up that would be, create a more accessible platform for people who are interested in getting into this? It's a difficult thing. You know, um, I, Basically, say, for instance, on my social media, I started trying, I started this this week on Instagram, on the TV, you know, they have the IGTV thing. And I've just decided to start doing little five minute episodes, um, talking about various, like whatever kind of comes to mind at the time, little snippets of fiber related, you know, info and stories or what have you, because I thought maybe this is maybe this is the way to start. I don't know, because it's never been done before. It's a very like old fashioned thing to bring into this modern world. And I know, like I personally, like I follow a lot of makers and doers, dyers, knitters, weavers, um, artists on, on social media, and they, they follow their own practices very well. And I find it very inspiring. But it can either range from being really, really quite technical to being very, very um, subjective to the artist's sort of personal journey. And both of those things are really nice, but I'd like to see something in the middle. And maybe I'm trying to do that, but I'm not really sure how to do it yet. So I'm just going just to kind of wing it and see. Yeah, I mean, that's I've seen so many amazing ideas kind of just start with those tinsy little baby steps and you don't really know what you're doing. You're kind of feeling around in the dark. But when you find that like light switch, you're like, okay, I, I made a start and now I know where I'm going. Yeah, and I also think 
changes all the time as well. Like you might think that one way is really good for a while and then it might completely change later on. I guess you have to be ready for anything. What material do you like working with the best? Like what's your, your favorite? I really like silk. It's got a lot of amazing qualities that are kind of contrast each other like its strength and it's it's very very um malleable and I just like the way that it takes the light so often I think artworks are based on light and how how they kind of catch it and the you know the way that you perceive something and basically the way our eyes work is how much light's coming in right so if something has a particular quality that can change as well I find silk really luminous so I really enjoy it for that reason but I also really like wool because it's local and there's so many ways to change it around. And like depending on the way you spin it, wool can have be really light and easy and great for baby's clothes or it can be really dense and super duper warm. So I don't know, like actually all fiber interests me. I just actually have to learn a lot more about the other ones. <laughs> but so far I've been obsessed with wool and silk. I mean, I love both when it comes to like clothing pieces, but I always find that when I wear wool, it just it itches so much, and yeah, it's I just kind of like avoid wearing it. But I don't know. Have you found that there's something maybe um, that you can do to wool that takes away that like nagging itch? I think it just depends on um, the weather, really. Like it can be super warm or not, and maybe it, it's supposed to be hyper uh, hypoallergenic, but I. I think it just depends on the way it's been processed, you know, as well. Because as I said, like it can, its qualities can change depending on how the how it's been processed into a garment. Um, mm -hmm. I also personally, I, I feel the same way as you do, so I like to wear wool blends. What kind of came first, your up like the love for sustainability, or was it kind of a cataclysm of both? Um, with like these artisanal approaches and how do you other than in your work implement a sustainable approach in your lifestyle so I would have I would definitely say hand making and art, like uh, artisanal like pursuits influenced my perspective on sustainability uh, you know in the, I, I probably like so many of us wouldn't have really thought about the amount that we consume just from non-reusable things my personal journey started, yeah, with like clothing consumption because I've been a, you know, I've worked in fashion as a model for a long time. I'm surrounded by this industry. I know quite a lot about it now just from being around it. But then making it by hand, you start questioning what, why is something so cheap on one hand or so expensive on another? You know, what are the differences in quality? Where have they been made? And when you start asking those questions, it can become really confronting. But also when it happens organically like that, if, I don't even really know when it started, when I started thinking like that or not. I know it came after handmaking, but it would have just been this slow seed of understanding and asking questions. And I guess I'm in the right industry to ask those questions. But you start realizing that people either overlook it or they get really passionate about it. And the more you talk, whether it's to someone who's passionate or not, the more you start making up your own mind. And um, I suppose that, yeah, that was the catalyst for me. Um, and in my personal life outside of work, um, basically avoiding, I'm not totally there yet. I'm not a totally 100% plastic-free household, but we 
don't go to the supermarket to buy food. We go to the market because it's not packaged. We take bags everywhere. I mend everything. Um, I'm t- at the moment as well, I'm starting these mending workshops um, for the public and we're teaching people how to basically have practical skills so they can fix their clothing. Because uh, I feel like a lot of this kind of household domestic arts have kind of died out in the last generation. And a lot of people are really craving just these very simple knowledge. And so I kind of combine this practical elements with also a commentary on creativity. Because I think as well, a lot of people are really daunted by the idea of creating something out of nothing because they think they have to be they have to be an artist to do that and they might not feel like they are but my whole message is like creativity is just problem solving you know it just depends on what you're trying to solve you know creativity for an artist is them trying to communicate their idea but creativity for a person who just ripped their jeans is how do I fix this hole so it's kind of trying to shift people's mentality and not be so scared of something new or something that they maybe maybe have been conditioned into thinking isn't for them or isn't a reliable thing or you know it's approachable we are all here together just try because half the time even if you're not good at it the fact that you're there in the moment trying it means that you will think about it and the seeding of the idea much like how it's seeded for me with hand making and thinking about waste is so powerful and it doesn't have to be immediate it's just starting that idea will take you a long way and once you start thinking like that you can never go back yeah it's it's truly just taking that first step what impact do you wish to make across all these platforms that you're working on with your work and how do you can you speak to how you feel you are good at bringing this message across personally i feel like the message is important to everyone but in my own life from what i've done so far with it of making and doing and people respond really well to the things that I've made they ask me questions they want to know more they feel fascinated by how something is made I see it when I display my work I see it when people look at the photographs of it Um, and I don't think that that's just because they're really interested in my work I think it's because it the work brings to the foreground like uh, almost kind of brings it into plain view of how something can be made it makes you question it a little bit and I think with that question in mind you you feel closer to it so I think maybe the fact that I'm making and doing myself and testing my own work through that makes me a good advocate but um it also even I I hope that if I wasn't making the art I would still be asking the questions but overall my message is very much about connectivity creating a community, not being afraid to ask the questions, be amongst it and learn something new. Because I found myself very often afraid of exactly those things and not really knowing why. And it's usually because I have no one to talk to about it. And when I realize that, I try and find someone I can talk to about it. And so I want to offer that to other people. And going back to that time that you referenced earlier, in that time of fearing you weren't, necessarily really open about what you wanted to achieve and the ideas that you had do you remember your turning point where you took that first step to opening up yeah well I guess it just built up into this feeling of overall fear and anxiety and I was like I'm not an anxious person why am I and I started I really got to a point where I asked myself like why am I so anxious about this 
to this point where I get, I can't even talk about my work. I get so worked up about it. What is wrong with me? And that's when I realized, I was like, this isn't me. And it's my, the way that I've been building this up in my own mind. So that's been the first step for me. And now that I've learned that with, with that experience, I basically stick to that now. If I'm ever feeling anxiety about my work, I usually realize it's because I need to talk about it with somebody. I always reference, like, it's really people enhancing people and just connection. Yeah, very true. And to close things off, I would love it if you could give an example of a time in your life where it was guts versus logic and you went with a gut. It could be, the, like, a tinsy coincidence or one of those mind-boggling moments. The first thing, I suppose, that comes to me is it's very – yeah, it's very – a day-to-day thing but years ago about five years ago I got a phone call at my mobile and it was a number I didn't know and I would never pick it up normally and I picked it up on this day and I was very cautious on the phone and it was somebody I didn't know but um he was a friend of a friend and he turned out to be my now music partner and also now my life partner. Um, and at the time, uh, it was funny because all of my logical instincts were like, don't, like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to this person? Why are you sharing this? Why are you going to help him? <laughs> like, I, that, sounds, that sounds strange to say that, but why are you putting yourself out there for him? Because he was asking me to do that from this conversation. But there was just something inside of myself that told me that this was a good thing to do and it didn't matter if other people were telling me I was being strange or or that normally I wouldn't do that. And all the logical things I sort of just didn't regard. And um, I just let it play out. And it's turned out that this person has absolutely changed my life for the better. So I suppose that's the best example that I can think of. This is Rachel Rutt, Guts and Glory, signing off. This was This Fiber Journey with Rachel Rutt. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday. Thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.